welcome back to Bricks and Clicks. We try to get Luke in the Dirty Nell to play us the Sound of Money song by the OJs, which I think everyone would recognize if they heard it. We are talking about money today, raising capital, and sort of that venture capital paradigm. Now, I've never raised money myself, met with lots of venture capitalists and investors, chose not to go down that route. So I certainly have my biases. Colin, Johnny, tell me about sort of your biases, because if we know that there's a lot of gaps here that we're just not going to talk about and probably get wrong. So we just want to get everything out up front. Yeah, we're just going to kind of share what we've seen so far, what our points of view on raising capital and the kind of VC world is like, but we're not experts in this. We see it kind of in adjacency. So if someone's listening yeah. and actually knows more than us about this, we invite you to come on. We would love to have you on and tell us what we got wrong and that we can kind of discuss and debate on an episode of the pod. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Cause like Colin said, we've never raised money. I've never even been in a private equity or venture capitalist type meeting. So we just see what happens when the brands we work with, or we've seen it quite often where the brands we work with have raised a lot of money. And they celebrate that. And it's a big accomplishment, right? Certainly it's a big accomplishment to go raise $25 million, what have you. But then mm -hmm. the, the work really starts. And we've seen that really hurt companies in terms of the culture, the enjoyment the employees get, the objectives of the business start changing. Because now it's all about chasing that number that you've built into that plan to sell your piece. And it just becomes a very different environment. So I would say my bias, at least personally, is I can be quite negative on it because I've seen the bad things that it can do. And mm -hmm. we know for sure it can be very positive, though. It can be a big accomplishment. It funds the businesses, allows these businesses to operate and get their products out there. But I just get worried sometimes because I think it really depends on the terms and the deal and all that, which we're yeah. learning about. Johnny, a great point. I just want to chime in with it, it depends on what you need. Do you need capital to get your business up and running, which I think is very different in the CPG space of being able to afford larger runs or purchase orders where you might not get paid regularly for 120 days at a time versus, say, a software app where two people kind of coding it in their spare time can get to something where you can make a, a decent enough chunk of revenue off of. And then this kind of, uh, this conversation started because of a tweet out there and maybe I'll read that tweet because it had some other interesting things going on too that we can talk to about just DTC in general. And of course, this tweet was designed to stir up <laughs> strong opinions, no doubt. What is it? The name of the game is be controversial enough so that people reply in a game's algorithm and you just reach more people. Yeah. So this was from at Vibhu, V-I-B-H-U. And here's what the tweet says. An opinion I've been afraid to share. I think that DTC has failed overall. I've helped launch more brands than anyone else. So maybe there's something to it. The brands we hold up as beacons have been unprofitable for years. Every IPO tanks acquisitions are quickly sunset. Okay. So yeah, wow. this is, this is designed to get us a little bit of talking. And he, yeah. Yeah. And then he goes into a lot more detail in the replies talking about how there's like no money left over when you pay. Shopify and all these different suppliers and no money for supply chain. And Alibaba clones everything. So he goes into detail on that, but let's maybe tackle these one by one. The first one being that he thinks that DTC or direct consumer has failed overall. Thoughts on that one. I don't think it's failed overall. I think that's what? wrong. That's my thing. I, what does that mean failed? What does he mean by that? I just, I just don't see how that's the case. I mean, people have certainly failed at it. Some brands have been struggled to do it or has it worked. But even starting yeah. a business has a 90% failure rate. So if yeah. in the industry, 20% of brands survive twice the number, four out of five still fail, which is what's supposed to happen. You come across a huge, huge graveyard compared to the success stories. Yeah. I mean, I think I do like agree, the though. startup cost, 
Yeah. Well, yeah, like you're saying, the startup cost is lower for DTC. So like if the old paradigm was only 10% of, of businesses take off, maybe it's only 1% online because the entry cost is so much lower. Um, so maybe that's what he's saying is that like most, like a vast majority of people who try and spin up a DTC company aren't here. Yeah. In a couple and it of is years, expensive. I, and I think that is also, it is expensive to operate there if you want to. I mean, let's put it this way. There are a lot of things you can spend your margin on online the Shopify mm -hmm. things or Instagram ads mm -hmm. or who are just a lot of things. Right. And yeah, that can quickly add up. And if you don't have the sales, yeah, you're going to go under quickly. But to me, this brings up two ideas is first off, charge more, make sure you're pricing mm -hmm. accordingly, right? Build in the right margin into your right costs into your pricing structure. I think a lot of items and brands products are probably underpriced. And I know that's scary to be like, there's no way my product's going to sell at $10 or $15, wherever that is. You can always try. And if it doesn't work, then you probably know you need to make some changes. I don't think you can Instagram your way out of it at that lower price or, or make it up in volume from a prior pod. So I think that's yeah. one thing you got to be careful about, like what margins are they going out after and can they go higher? And the second yeah. piece is, sorry, Colin, one more point I want to make is this just shows the importance of brick and mortar, right? Brick and mortar is not dead. And mm -hmm. once you go on D to C, try and get into brick and mortar as you can, right? That's where you really you're going to grow your business. And so it's an omni-channel approach. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agree with all that. I want to add in oh, one yeah. thing really quickly is that DTC isn't a type of business. It's a channel. Yeah. Uline has a DTC component. Yeah. Like the TSA has a DTC component. You don't, for me, it means the removal of middlemen and bloating of if your staples, just to use the office, for instance, Dunder Mifflin is a an aggregator that's a middleman that if you wanted to buy hammer mill paper, you can go to Staples or Dunder Mifflin. Now you can just go direct to hammer mill because the products that you need, you're not limited by someone else's selection, yeah. but also you're probably saving money and getting better service in, in the long run. So for me, it means dealing directly with, with the brand versus all kinds of different layers of distributing and bloating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I know we started talking about BCs, which comes in here on the, the last <laughs> part of the tweet here. So he says here that the brands we hold up as beacons have been unprofitable for years. Every IPO tanks acquisitions are quickly sunset. So let's ignore the everys yeah. and the, the, that, because I mean, that's just, he's just trying to stir us up, obviously. Yeah. But what he's saying is that like these companies don't make money. And yeah. then when they get to an IPO phase that they tank because yeah. people are being, like, presumably are being sold a false bill of goods. And then they realize that and stock prices drop. I think this has a lot of merit to it, that this happens yeah. not every time, but often. My And so the where VCs come into this is, he's talking about IPOs, but the typical trajectory is small company starts up with your own money. You need capital. Bank's not gonna give you any money. It's so hard to get capital. So enter the VCs, they have capital. Mm -hmm. They're willing to make bets on these small companies, hoping that a small percentage of them return a very high amount. And so their blended returns are good. And then the VCs, when they need to exit those, they sell them to institutions, right? Or, mm -hmm. or more private equity firms. And then those institutions take the company public through an IPO. So that's kind of the mm -hmm. pathway uh, of a company going from a mom and pop in the garage to shares on Wall Street. So VCs. So why are they all failing? Why are they all failing, Colin? Why are all the DTC businesses failing that path you just put out there? Yeah, a lot of IPOs tank. Maybe we can ignore yeah. that part. The VC yeah. part, it, it's by design, right? Like yeah. what eventual, mm -hmm. you just have to look at how the venture capitalist firms operate. They're making a lot of bets, a lot of small bets. They'll make, they'll inject more money into the good ones and try and sell them to the institutions. When you take money from a VC, if you're not accepting that they think you're going to fail a high percentage of the time, you're missing the point, right? They're expecting 
Like if they pick any one company, it's probably going to not exist. And this is why I think we mentioned this, or I might've mentioned this in a previous pod, was that when I'm walking Expo, my thought is look at all these awesome expos, the big natural food expo trade show in Anaheim. And I'm always thinking, look at all these awesome food products that are never going to make it onto grocery store shelves, or at least not the ones that I'm going to see. Because a lot of these companies can only scale if they get VC money and necessarily a large percentage of those companies will cease to exist by design because of the model. And so it's not bad or good. And sorry, I'm really ranting here. I don't think it's bad or good. I think it's just important that when you enter into that world, you understand what you're signing up for. You're not getting money from a company who's going to put all of their time and resources into making sure you succeed. You're getting money from a company that's going to wait and see if it's good or not. And if you're not meeting some thresholds, you're going to get cut and you got no more money and you're in debt. And so you got to fold. And that's just the way it goes. That's the game you're playing, right? That's a really good way to put it. It's like when you sign up for that, that's the game. That's the rules of the game. And that's what to expect. And so you probably have to behave differently versus someone where you're trying to bootstrap it and build up that sustainable business on your own. You get control and what's going to be a little bit different. It's a different game to play. So yeah, it's so important. And I think where these companies fail, why he's probably saying they fail. Well, to me, it's probably a, uh, like what Colin said, which also, and it's also a fact of expectations of the business. Like do these venture capitalists and private equity when they're making their investments and looking at what the potential of this business is, how are they thinking about it? Are they thinking about it properly? Are they really understanding the sales controllables that we talk about all the time, right? Like, are they building out their projections based on distribution growth? And what can they do with pricing? And is there a way to layer on promotions and invest margin into that? Like, that's how it all comes into this, right? as you build out your forecasting model. And that's something that Colin and I have both done working for companies that are trying to sell is build out projections, multi-year projections, long-range projections, but it's all built by those fundamentals that we talk about in key learnings and account planning. It's just doing it at a bigger scale and the out years and saying, hey, this is what, if this happens, here's what we think the business can be. And then we can debate those inputs, but the model is really not changing. It's still going to be doors times velocity equals total revenue and layer on your price to get your changes there and your margin. But that's, that's all it is. And then you can debate that. Uh, and I think a lot of people probably don't go down to that level of detail when they're making their investments. And I would love to be proven wrong. And this is the part where we don't know. So if I'm wrong and you guys all do this, then come on the pod. Let's talk about it. But that's my opinion. Yeah. I'm always trying to ask anyone that in, in this world, like, how are you, if you are the VC or private equity firm giving a bunch of money to a company, I'm always want to know how are they deciding what the growth rate should be that they need to build into their return models. And so far, please, please somebody come on and tell me how it's done. But so far, my understanding is it's, we've been growing at about 10%. We think we can push that up to 15%. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, it's oversimplifying, but I don't know. I haven't I, seen an indication having, that it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah. yeah. No, I've been there and it's okay. We hit these numbers. Let's see how far we can push it because we know, and it's use a psychological term anchoring, which is also important, important mm -hmm. in, in price anchoring. It's if you're aiming for 15%, you know that you're going to overachieve from that 10%, even if you hit. 10.5%, sure, you missed your target by almost two thirds, but you were still improved from where you were before. So just constantly like moving the goalposts. Like there's, I don't think you're oversimplifying at all. You're articulating it quite well. But if that 10% growth rate came because of selling into a Costco. specific channel, Costco, yeah. like let's say yeah. all of our growth came from, let's say we're at like, we're growing at 30 or 40%. This business looks very strong because we sold in a Costco and Walmart last year. But if you don't take the extra step to say, oh, that was Costco and Walmart, you don't realize like that, that's not going to happen again. There aren't any, many other Costco's and Walmart's to go sell into. So now you're going to be at a much slower growth trajectory. 
And if you lose Costco or Walmart, that's going to be your minus 20% growth one year. You're so leveraged so, on one customer, right? Yeah. And also, then you got to take into account the velocity factor, right? In terms of how do the items where they're currently selling, where do they rank in the category? Are they doing, did you just go selling a bunch of new distribution, got a bunch of pipeline shipments, but your items are going to be doing $2 per store per week below the category mm -hmm. thresholds? Like, there's nothing Yeah, did here. you get into to Costco and you were on Shark Tank sort of yeah. all around the same time? So you have all this great PR and distribution coming. So you have a huge lift in sales at no additional marketing cost. It's not mm -hmm. sustainable. Now, if you're trying to sell a business, if you're the business owner, yeah. right, that's when you want to sell, right? It's yeah. like your, your time, you're timing the market. That's the best time to sell. It's never going to look better on paper than that. And then it's buyer, it's buyer beware. Or Use sell it, it right before under. you go into Walmart, right before you go into Walmart. So you can put into that your projections. Look, at I can go get to the 3000 stores in Walmart. It's going to do a ton of volume, but I don't want to deal with having Walmart as one of my big customers. <laughs> so I put that in my projections, I'll sell. And then, you know what, the private equity or whoever can worry about. After you sell, if you don't want to deal with Walmart and you sell a private equity firm or a larger company that can self-fund your net 120 day purchase order payment terms. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Should we, uh, should we, should we wrap it up? Yeah. I'm all right. I'm going to tired after that rant. I've, I've got a call to action. Good. For, for a potential guest. So if any listeners know Mark Cuban, would love to have him on the podcast. That'd all be right. great. So yeah, I'd say drop a, a note in the comments, but you know how to get a hold of us. Oh, what's that, Luke? Yeah. Yeah. You can come play us out now. Come on. All right. That sound is the dirty nail taking us home, which means it's time to wrap up. Don't forget to subscribe, share this episode with your mother-in-law, and please, please, please tag Mark Cuban so we can get him on the show. I know he's been dying to come on for a while, so let's make it happen. And thanks to Brother Bill for that tweet. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's what I want.